it's important for us to ask, are we holding lightly to the things of this world, to our comforts, to our stability, even to some of our very precious relationships? Saying to the Lord Jesus, all that I have and all that I am, it is available to you. I'm here to serve you, here to follow. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Today we're continuing a message called The Cost of the Kingdom. And Jonathan, as we began to talk about last time, if we follow Jesus and we, we really commit to doing that, we may be asked to give up certain things that we kind of hold dear. And, and there can be a fear to honestly answer those questions because of what we're scared the answer may be. Uh, for the person who's like... I'm not sure I want to ask that question, Jonathan. Uh, how would you encourage them to honestly ask and answer that question? Well, again, I think we need to have before our eyes very clearly the person of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. And when we've got clearly in our minds a picture of Jesus as a wonderful Savior, a great friend, a kind Lord and Master— and when we recognize what it is that he offers us in his salvation, an escape from punishment for sin and an opportunity to join him in his eternal kingdom and to be with him forever, when those things are before us, the cost actually becomes lighter in our mind and we're more willing to bear it. But nonetheless, we need to be realistic about the cost. And that's part of the purpose of this passage that we're going to be looking at together. We are looking at this from the book of Matthew, chapter 8. The message is called The Cost of the Kingdom. Let's dive in. Here is Jonathan. I was reading this week a profile of a, a profile piece on Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. She was actually in the news because of the tragic death of her sister. But Maxima's own story is quite interesting. She's Argentinian by birth, but fell in love with the Dutch crown prince and future king. Her father was an official in a dictatorial military government in Argentina back in the 70s and 80s. So she was, she was actually treated with some skepticism and caution in the Netherlands when she first came on the scene. But evidently, she charmed the people of her new country and her new home by throwing her lot in with them entirely, 100% right from the start. Upon joining the royal family, she immediately set about learning the language and making connections with ordinary people. Joining the Dutch royal family would make a huge impact on her family relationships back in Argentina. Her father, it was made clear, would not be welcome in the Netherlands because of his political history. He wouldn't be allowed to attend his daughter's wedding. But Maxima decided to embrace the cost, and she threw in her lot with her new people and her new kingdom. There's some here in this room today who are weighing the cost of following Jesus. You're intrigued by his message. You're considering making your own commitment to him. It's wonderful if you're considering that. I'd encourage you to keep considering it. But Jesus would urge you to think very carefully. It's wonderful belonging to him. There's nothing more important than the forgiveness of sin that he offers you through his death in your place. There's nothing more secure than to know his promise of eternal life in his kingdom. And the truth is that Jesus loves you and he's given everything for you. But he does call you to give up 
everything for him. The gospel is free, salvation is a gift, but following Jesus is costly. And the question is this, are you ready for that? Are you willing to embrace that cost? For all of us here, each one of us, it's good to ask, it's important for us to ask, are we holding lightly to the things of this world, to our comforts, to our stability, even to some of our very precious relationships, saying to the Lord Jesus, all that I have and all that I am, it is available to you. I'm here to serve you, here to follow. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? We sometimes sing the very challenging words, take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my will and make it Thine, it shall be no longer mine. We can sing those words with great gusto. But are we in danger of being like that teacher of the law, glibly and without much understanding, saying to Jesus, oh, yes, I'll follow you wherever you go. Do we really hear and do we really understand the challenge of Jesus and the call of Jesus? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay down his head. Follow me and let the dead bury their own deads we really understand the call of Jesus, if we're really willing to follow him, where would the Lord Jesus have you go? And where would he have you serve him? What might he have you do? I don't know the answer to that question, of course, for you, but it is one for each of us to ask honestly before the Lord in our own heart, are we available to him? I have no doubt that the Lord has some even in this room whom he would call into full-time service. As he calls you, as he prompts you, as the encouragement comes from others, are you ready? Are you willing? Would you go? Are we willing to go as he leads? Are we willing to bear the cost? Many here in this room, most of us will know the great story of Jim Elliott, the young missionary who gave his life to bring the gospel to that isolated tribe in Ecuador in the 1950s, leaving behind him a a young widow and children when he was martyred. And if you know the story of Jim and his life and his death, you almost certainly know those words that he wrote almost prophetically in his diary in 1949. You could probably recite them with me. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's a surprising cost attached to following Jesus, but in light of eternity, it's no cost at all. Next, Jesus shows us there is a surprising security attached to following him. Very often, the Bible commentators like to group this next section, verses 23 to 27. They like to group it with the incidents that follow. You've got the calming of the storm. You've got the healing of the demon-possessed man, you've got the healing of the paralytic. And so you've got a nice little set of miracles there that show the lordship of Christ over nature, over demons, over disease. And certainly there's a connection in that series. But it seems to me that this theme of discipleship 
of following Jesus, this theme ties together the calming of the storm with the verses that we've been looking at just now. The language of verse 23 actually gives us that link, if you notice. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Now, why do we go straight from this encounter with the two men, men who don't get the fact that following Jesus is going to be costly? Why do we go from those encounters straight into an incident where the disciples are taken into a situation of real pressure and real danger? Well, I think that Jesus knows what he's doing here. I think he intended to teach his disciples and to teach us something about the nature of discipleship, something of what it'll cost and mean for us to follow him. You remember that Jesus was keen to get a bit of reprieve and move away from the crowds there. He'd given the order back in verse 18 to cross the lake. And now finally comes the opportunity. He gets into the boat and his true disciples are following him. But no sooner do they get away from land than this storm comes up on the lake. Apparently the Lake of Galilee is known for this kind of a thing. It's not uncommon for this to happen. Something about the fact that the lake is low and it's surrounded by hills, so you've got an altitude differential and a temperature differential. Anyway, the storm is both sudden and big, and the waves are sweeping over this little fishing boat. Remarkably, Jesus is managing to sleep through the whole thing. He was doubtless tired from what he'd been doing, tired from all this interpersonal interaction over so many hours. The disciples are clearly terrified, and they wake Jesus up as quickly as they can. They kind of shake him awake. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. They might have expected Jesus to wake up with a a start, apologize for sleeping through such a crisis and then sort of turn green with nausea and then white with fear like all the rest of them. But no, none of that. Jesus is steady. Jesus is in control. You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? (laughs) What what do you mean, Jesus? Why are you so afraid? Are you serious? Uh, we're, pretty, we're in a pretty serious situation here, Jesus. In case you hadn't noticed, we've come into some weather and it's causing us a bit of difficulty here. Uh, this little boat of ours, it's going down, Jesus. We're afraid and we should be because we are going to die. And so are you, Jesus, unless you do something about this. Can you do something about this? Matthew tells us that Jesus gets up. And he rebukes the wind and the waves. He rebukes them as though they were a class of unruly school children who needed to be settled down and needed to be reminded who was boss. The wind and the waves, they duly obey him. And we read simply that it was completely calm, not a ripple on the surface of the lake. Well, the nausea fades. The disciples regain their composure, but they're still pale, not now with fear of the weather, but with awe at the man standing before them. We can imagine they're still sort of white as sheets, not now because they believe they're going to die, but because they realize that they are in the presence of no ordinary man, no ordinary teacher, no ordinary worker of wonders even. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples were right to ask that question. They were right to be in awe. And they were quite right in verse 25 to have called out, 
to Jesus as Lord. They were quite right to cry to him for salvation. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Cost of the Kingdom. It's part of a larger series called Kingdoms Colliding, and today we're taking a look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. We're going to get back to this message in just a moment, so I hope you'll stay with us. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast, and that's exactly what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on the station. So if you're benefiting from listening, I want to ask you to consider a gift today. You can give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH. And for your gift, we want to send you a book, just our way of saying thanks. It's called Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. It's written by C.H. Spurgeon, one of the great Victorian preachers. In fact, he was known as the Prince of Preachers, and his sermons drew thousands to his church. He was passionate about encouraging believers to enter into the provision that their relationship with Jesus entitled them to. And that's what this collection of writings really is all about. Again, we'd love to send you this book, Checkbook of the Bank of Faith, for your gift of any amount. One more time, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. And our phone number is 833-99-TRUTH. Well, let's get back to the message once again with the cost of the kingdom. Here is Jonathan. We said last week that the great miracles of the gospel serve to teach us about the identity of Jesus. They reveal to us again and again and again who he is. And very often they pick up on imagery and ideas and motifs from the Old Testament to do that. Psalm 107 is a very interesting psalm. It tells the story of various people whom the Lord leads into situations of danger, whom he uh, leads into situations of crisis, who then call out to him for salvation. And then they discover his uh, deliverance and they see his salvation. Psalm 107 is a particularly relevant psalm for our passage. You might like to turn there with me. And I'd like to read from verse 23 about a group of people who go out on ships into a storm and need to call out to the Lord for help. Psalm 107, verse 23. Others went out into the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord and his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exult in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Now, in this psalm, Psalm 107, the Lord leads these people into a storm. He calls up this storm, and the people on the boat, they cry to him for help. And then when they do that, he stills the storm to a whisper and calms the waves, and the result is that they praise the Lord in the assembly. The disciples in Matthew 8 have obeyed Jesus and they've gone with him into the boat. They've followed him, as we're told. A big storm comes up out of nowhere. They're terrified 
and they cry out to the Lord. That's what they call Jesus. And then he calms the storm with his voice down to nothing, down to a whisper. And immediately they ask the question, who is this? Who can do this? Now, remember, at this stage in the story, they're still figuring Jesus out. They're still getting to know him. We're only in chapter 8 of the gospel. But it's a good question. It's the right question to ask. And if you're an Israelite who knows your Bible, who's read Psalm 107, what is your answer to the question? Who is the one with power to calm the sea, to still the storm? The answer is simple, isn't it? It is the Lord God himself and none other. What does this incident tell us about Jesus? What's the message? It tells us that this carpenter from Galilee, this traveling teacher, this gracious healer, this worker of miracles, he is none other than the Lord God of creation. Why does Jesus take his disciples here? If he's this powerful, powerful enough to still the storm, surely he knew about the storm ahead of time. Surely he could have avoided the situation altogether. But no, he took his followers straight into that storm. What was he doing? Think about the big picture here for a moment. Back in that last little encounter, Jesus met those two people who hadn't counted the cost, who didn't realize that following him could be uncomfortable, and he laid it out all on the table for them. He's made it plain, following him, it's going to involve some sacrifice. It's going to be uncomfortable. It won't be first-class travel. It won't be five-star all the way. It won't be some joyride of self-indulgence or self-fulfillment. Okay, that's clear enough. And so the big question we need to ask ourselves is this. If I'm going to go with Jesus on this sometimes uncomfortable journey, can I trust him? Is he reliable? Is he powerful enough to keep me and protect me? Maybe I am willing in principle to go, but is he actually able to sustain me if I entrust myself to him? He's a great teacher, I know that. He's performed some wonderful miracles, but can he carry me through if I obey the call, if I do indeed follow him wherever he may go? It's a fair and right question to ask. Indeed, we should ask it. And the answer to that valid and that important question, in order to answer it, what does Jesus do? He takes the disciples into a storm. He takes them to a place. He brings them into a place where they cry out, not simply, teacher, show me, but Lord, save me. And as the Lord whose voice called creation into being now calls the creation to be still, the very forces of nature they submit and they obey. The power of nature is calmed. The noise of the storm is quietened as it recognizes its master's voice. And as they behold all this, as they observe all this, as they live through all this, the disciples see and understand that the teacher they have followed, he is none other than the Lord of life, the Lord of creation, the master of the universe. And they come to see and perceive and understand in a deeper way that they can actually trust the one whom they have followed. One of the striking, even the surprising things about the way in which the gospel stories unfold is the fact that the disciples seem to learn so slowly. 
They seem to come to understand Jesus so slowly. They seem to grasp a little something of him at each stage, but it's like two steps forward, one step back. It takes them a long time to see and understand fully who Jesus is and what he can do. As I read the Gospels, I'm often tempted to be a little judgmental of these poor disciples. Why can't you just learn a little bit faster? I mean, catch up. Get with the program. I mean, it's so obvious. Just look at Jesus. Can't you see who he is? Can't you see that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord? Isn't it clear to you? But actually, as I stand back and reflect on the disciples and then reflect on myself, I think there's more of me in these slow-to-learn disciples than I would care to recognize. As I reflect upon it, I'm pretty slow, actually, to learn myself. Slow to see, slow to perceive, slow to understand, slow to trust. Slow to trust that the Lord Jesus really can carry me through that the Lord Jesus really can save. I mean, I have the right words to describe him. I know what to call him. I know to call him Savior, Messiah, Lord. But I don't quickly and I don't easily believe and trust that he is master of the roaring seas. I don't easily trust that I'm really safe with him. And the truth is that the Lord has his own way of taking us deeper in our discipleship and deeper in our understanding of Jesus. He has his way, actually, of leading us into the storm that we might learn to cry out to him to save us, that we might cry out to him to intervene, the eternal God, strong to save. I know the story and the experience of a number of folk here in this room, but for many in the congregation this morning, I guess I don't know how things are with you or what's going on in your experience at the moment. But I have absolutely no doubt that for a great many, this picture of the storm in Matthew 8, it resonates very deeply. It's a powerful picture for us because we know something of following Jesus in a storm. If we've been trusting him for any length of time, we'll have something of this experience. We're familiar with the experience of the Lord and his sovereign wisdom leading us through stormy seas. And there's no doubt that part of the Lord's purpose in your situation and in mine is to teach us in the midst of the storm, from the depths of the storm, to cry out to him as Lord, Lord of creation, Lord of salvation, Lord of the raging sea, to cry out to him and then to learn to trust him that he is powerful to keep us, that he is strong to save. This incident on the Sea of Galilee, it teaches us and it reminds us that the Jesus we follow the friend we know, the Savior we trust. He is the master of the raging sea. He is the all-powerful Lord of heaven and earth. And it reminds us that no storm we can ever face is too strong for him. Following Jesus, a surprising cost, yes, but with it, a wonderful security. 
You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message today called The Cost of the Kingdom. And there is a cost to follow Jesus, but here's the great part. There is a security attached to following him as well. Really what we've been looking at in today's message. Maybe you want to go back and listen to this again. You can always do that by coming to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can download the program or you can simply stream it and listen to it whenever it fits your schedule. Again, our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. And quickly before we go, just want to remind you that Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. If you're benefiting from listening, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support. Again, you can give by coming to the website EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, for Jonathan, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening today, and I do hope you'll join us next time.